Do not remain taken from Revelation chapter 10 and 11. It's rather long, but just bear with me. On page 1240. The angel and the little scroll. Then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven. He was robed in a cloud with a rainbow above his head. His face was like the sun, and his legs were like fire pipe pillar. He was holding a little scroll which lay open in his hand. He planted his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land, and he gave a loud shout like the roar of a lion. When he shouted, the voice of the seven thunders spoke. And when he seven thunders spoke, I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven say, Seal up what the seven thunders have said, and do not write it down. Then the angel I have seen standing on the sea and on the land raised his right hand to heaven, and he swore by him who lived forever and ever, who created the heavens and all that is in them, the earth and all that is in it, and the sea and all that is in it, and said, there will be no more delay, but in the days when the seventh angel is about to sound his trumpet, the mystery of God will be accomplished, just as he announced to his servant, his prophets. Then the voice that I had heard seen from heaven spoke to me once more. Go, take the scroll that lies open in the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel and asked him to give me the little scroll. He said to me, take it and eat it. It will turn you, your stomach sour, but in your mouth it will be as sweet as honey. I took the little scroll from the angel's hand and ate it. I, it tastes, it tastes as sweet as honey in my mouth. But when I had eaten it, my stomach turned sour. Then I was told, you must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, languages, and kings. The two witnesses. I was given a reed like a measuring rod and was told, go and measure the temple of God and the altar, but it's, and it's worshipful. But exclude the outer court, do not measure it, because it has been given to the Gentiles. They will trample on the holy city for 42 months. And I will appoint my two witnesses, and they will prophesy for 1,260 days, clothed in sackcloth. They are the two olive trees and the two lampstands 
and they stand before the Lord of the earth. If anyone tries to harm them, fire comes from their mouth and devours their enemies. This is how anyone who wants to harm them must die. They have power to shut up the heavens so that it will not rain during his time they are prophesying. And they have power to turn the water into blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they want. Now then, now when they have finished their testimony, the peace that come up from the abyss will attack them and overpower and kill them. Their body will lie in public square in the, of the great city, which is figuratively called Sodom and Egypt, where also the Lord was crucified. For three and a half days, some from every people, tribe, language, and nation will gaze on their bodies and refuse them burial. The inhabitants of the earth and will clothe upon them and will celebrate by sending each other gifts because these two prophets had tormented those who live on the earth. But after the three and a half days, the breath of life from God entered them. They stood their feet and terror struck those who saw them. Then they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, Come up here. And they went up to heaven in cloud, where their enemy looked on. And that very hour there was a severe earthquake, and a tenth of the city collapsed. Seven thousand people were killed in the earthquake, and the survivors were terrified and gave glory to God of heaven. The second woe has passed. The third was who is coming soon? The seventh trumpet. The seventh angel sounded his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven which said, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah, and he will reign forever and ever. And the twenty-four elders who were seated on the throne before God fell on their faces and worshipped God, saying, We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, the one who is and who was, because you have taken great power and have begun to reign. The nation were angry, and your wrath has come. The time has come for judging the dead and for rewarding your servant, the prophets, and your people who receive your name, both great and small, and for destroying those who destroy the earth. The God's temple in heaven was open, and within his temple was seen the Ark of Covenant, and this came flashes of lightning, rumbling, peal of thunder, and earthquake, and severe hailstorm. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Tope. Good evening, everyone. 
I'm really pleased that there's some people here, because uh, um, having been at the weekend away, I wasn't quite sure um, who was going to be here. It's great that you're here, and um, uh, what a passage to look at tonight. I'm really thrilled to be looking at this. We're only going to be able to look at it um, from uh, uh, perhaps a little bit from a distance for a, for a bit, because we've only got a short time um, together. Now, um, we've just come back, some of us have just come back from the weekend away, and we have been on that weekend away um, looking at this theme of speak, um, which is part of our vision, purposeful uh, witnessing, purposefully growing in our witness. And by God's providence, by God's providence, his foreknowledge, this evening's scripture is actually all about the same thing. It's about witnessing. Uh, and let's just take a moment to pray so that we see this and we, we, can, um, we need his help so we can, we can see it. Father God, thank you for this passage as, uh, with all its pictures and language that seem quite alien and strange to us. We just pray, help us now together to see what it means to be your witnesses. We pray that by your spirit you'll help us. In Jesus' name, amen. So keep your Bibles open. We're going to concentrate on chapter 11 mostly. In, in some ways, you might say this sounds strange, but it's quite a straightforward passage. Um, particularly, there's a, there's a story here in chapter 11. There's a little parable going on um, to make a point, a point about witnessing. Um, so that's really there in, what, in verses 1 to 13. And let me just summarize the, the story, the illustration that's here. It's really about two witnesses, or two preachers, you might say, two speakers um, of the Word of God, proclaiming the Word of God, and, um, and they come under some persecution and opposition, and they get killed by a beast that comes up from the abyss, which I think we're up to understand as the devil, and their bodies lay unburied in the city square uh, for people to... Uh, gloat over and to, to mock. And then there's a, a great uh, uh, resurrection where God uh, uh, finally raises them up uh, to heaven and they ascend into heaven into God's presence. And finally there's a great earthquake. Uh, there's a scene of judgment. Some die, but yet many come to worship God. That, that's in, in essence a summary of the little parable that's going on here, a little story. So on one level, it's quite straightforward, but what does it mean for us tonight? Well, let's just back up for a moment. If you were with us last week, and I know that might not be everyone, you might remember this diagram that I showed. There we go, this diagram. Um, to help us understand a little bit about Revelation and all these different uh, sevens that are going on, and um, we, we talked about how it's, it's not actually that helpful to talk, think of Revelation in chronological terms, uh, in t- chronological time as, a, as events. Um, but to see the picture rather, rather as a series of parallel events looking at the same thing in history and in time. We, we use that analogy of the, of the uh, you know, you, you, you watch a sporting event, you get the, the main camera angle, but then you get the side angle, you get the overhead angle, you get these different angles, and these different pictures are trying to give us different layers 
of, of the way to look at time as it's presented in Revelation of the last days, and because the Bible tells us we're in the last days, and the last days started at the time of ascension when Jesus uh, went back to be with the Father and until he comes again, the second coming. Now, in chapter 6, we had um, the opening of the seals. Um, let's look at the next slide. We had the opening of the, the seals back there in chapter 6, but there was a delay. Do you remember there was a delay before the seventh? Um, seals opened. Uh, and also what we have here is the same thing happening again. Because again, it's, it's, it's parallel looking at the same events in a different way. There's another delay before the seventh trumpet. We had the six trumpets last week, and now we have the seven trumpets. And the first six, they come as alarm calls to, to warn people. Uh, they were the warnings of natural disaster. Remember, I had the clocks, natural disaster, pain, and death. Before the seventh trumpet is called, and there's a delay. Why is there a delay? There's a delay because God is patient with us. God is patient with us. He doesn't want, he's a loving God. He wants, he's giving time before the end of time for people to turn and to repent before the seventh trumpet is called. That's the purpose of the seventh trumpet, is the end of all time, when it will be too late. So that delay is not only actually about God's patience, which is really what we saw last week. It's actually also a time for God's witness. God's witness, as we see in the second so this is the bit we're really looking at today, tonight. So last week we looked at the purpose of the delay in terms of God's patience with us, a time to, to warn us. And this section is really about God's witness. Um, and it's the witness here of the church. I don't think we were to read the two witnesses that we introduced here, again, uh, too literally. Um, we've said that quite a lot as we go, and we will keep saying that as we go through Revelation. Um, the two witnesses are representative. They're not two individuals, but they speak of the whole church. Why do I say that? Well, it could be recalling that Jesus, if you remember, sent out the disciples two by two, didn't he? It's also possible that it's to do with... Um, the witnessing that we understand in Jewish law, which is that for it to be valid, it had to be by two witnesses, didn't it? Um, but also beyond that, I think verse 4 tells us that they, are, they talk about these two witnesses as the lampstand, the two lampstands in verse 4. And you'll recall, um, we had Revelation 1 uh, quoted earlier in Revelation 1, who is it that walks amongst the lampstands is Jesus, isn't it? And the lampstands that he walks amongst are the churches, are the churches. So here's the people of God in the last days, and they're on mission, they're on witnessing, speaking, purposefully growing in their witness. <laughs> Funny that, isn't it? <laughs> And God's providence about that's what we were looking at over the weekend. 
And these chapters are here really to spur that witness on, to encourage it in the last days. Now, how does these two passages, how does these passages do that? Well, briefly, and they give, you, give us four Ps to help us with this great task. So in the next slide, and the first one is that, there, that we have been given great power. You might not feel like you have great power, but we have great power as witnesses. In chapter 10, um, which we're not looking at so much, we're introduced to this great and mighty angel who comes from heaven. And again, this is supposed to represent, it is a representative thing of God's power and his might and his majesty over all the earth, the whole universe. And he gives a scroll to John. The scroll is the word of God, okay? He takes it and he's told at the end of chapter 10 to do what? Well, to prophesy, which is to speak. Who to? Well, many peoples and nations and languages and kings. You see, the word of God was received first, wasn't it, by, well, the prophets in the Old Testament, but by the apostles like John in the New Testament, for the New Testament. And therefore John then as an apostle, records it. And then we, as his people, his church, become witnesses to that word. And that's what we read about in chapter 11. So in a sense, the chapter 10 is about the, the apostles receiving that word, as John is one who received that word directly from God. He digests it, and it becomes part of him. He records it. And now we, as the church, chapter 11, become its witnesses a task we're all involved in, and we're given great power and authority to do so. It might remind you the power to do uh, at the end of Matthew 28 with the Great Commission. What does Jesus say? All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. So we have derived authority and power, don't we, from our King and Lord, Jesus to speak. So um, then what we have in chapter 11, and I think this is quite important for us to get our head round, is because we don't see it when we first read chapter 11, is you have in chapter 11 what, what I call as a collage of references. There's lots and lots of references here to people in the Old Testament, particularly some of the prophets. And so what John is doing Receiving the word is this collage to, to, of a picture um, to show us what the task of the church is like. So one of those is in verse 5 and, and demonstrates this power in the picture of fire that goes out to people who don't respond to witness. It looks pretty scary, doesn't it, this fire? It's actually, I was, I was quite scared of fire on Friday when I went to get my hair cut. <laughs> I didn't, um, I went to just have my hair cut and I was sitting in the barber's and he said something to me and I sort of said, I don't, I thought I said, no, I don't need any of that. And then the barber started, he started to light something. I've never seen this before. And he started to flick it at my ears, this fire at my ears. And, uh, and uh, apparently it's to, to burn hair in your ears. I didn't think I had any hair in my ears. Um, but 
I mean, well, maybe I will. But if, and it was quite hot. And the thought of somebody flicking fire at my ears. Um, and then it reminded me of this, this verse in, in verse 5, this f- picture of fire coming from the witnesses. And I was thinking, what's that all about? Well, actually, most commentators believe this is a, a, a reference to Jeremiah. Uh, in Jeremiah chapter 5, verse 14, it says this. Because the people have spoken these words, the people had spoken words of rejecting God's word and his witness. He goes on, I will make my words in your mouth, Jeremiah, a fire. And these people who reject the wood it consumes. And most people think this is, this is um, uh, John is picking this up in the vision. The word of God for those we know, don't we, that, that for the word of God for those who believe is salvation, isn't it? It's salvation. It's good news. But for those who reject, it's fire, isn't it? Because as, as much as it compels, it will also condemn people who don't believe it. And so similarly, verses 6 it brings to mind, you can have a look at it for yourself, brings and reminds us of Elijah, doesn't it? Um, who shut the heavens and, and it did not rain. And then secondly, Moses, who turned Egypt's water to blood. You can see the references there. And so what he's saying is, is alluding to is that the, the church, incredible this, you and me have this power to witness. And in so doing, and I'm careful how I say this, to judge the world if its message is rejected. Now, listen carefully to this. This does not mean we have personal power or authority. It is a derived power from God, from the Lamb, from Jesus. Matthew 28, we just talked about that. Remember also the two witnesses. If you look at verse 3, what the two witnesses are clothed in. Right at the end of verse 3, they're clothed in sackcloth. Um, so that, that means sackcloth is a picture of humility. It's a picture of, of um, reminding them of their own sin and their unworthiness, their humility. So there's no personal power or pride or arrogance in this. Um, it's more, uh, as Jesus actually says to, to his disciples who witness, uh, what it says in Matthew eighteen eighteen. Let me just read that to you. He says to them, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. All God's people have power, power to witness to the good news, to speak to bring the power of God's word that brings eternal life. But they also have a power, it's not their own power, it's a derived power, that binds those who reject. So there is great power. There's great power in this witnessing. 
power and a witness, power to bring the words of eternal life. And that's what the prophets did, isn't it? So that's the first thing, power. Second thing, to encourage us in our witness, is, <laughs> how's this encouraging? <laughs> Persecution. Well, helps us in our witness, I think, just so that we don't have false expectations, actually. Because sometimes we can think it, um, it should be all about revival uh, and um, that, you know, if I just speak the word of God, people will come to, to faith. Well, actually, it's not always like that. We need a right perspective on that. And that means that revelation as a book, as a whole, in terms of witnesses, encourages us to be patient as witnesses. We have to be patient. We see this most clearly here with the numbers that are referenced. And, and I know you love a bit of maths. So we're going to do a bit of maths together. The numbers mentioned here. You're thinking, what were all these numbers going on here? Um, verse 3. I will appoint two witnesses, and they will prophesy for 1,260 days. Now, at first, that seems completely random, doesn't it? Well, it did to me when I first read it. But again, this is a collage, a picture of... Uh, picking up things from the Old Testament. And this is picking up Daniel, Daniel 7 and and 12. And there it tells us about a great great time of tribulation for the people of God, a time of of persecution and opposition, which he says in, in, in Daniel will be for a time, times, and half a time. So if a time is a year which I think was how we're meant to understand it, and times is two years, and half a time is half a year, that equals three and a half years. And assuming a 30-day lunar month calendar makes 1,260 days, or 42 months, which is referenced here, in verse 2, where for 42 months, the Gentiles here that are talked about, representing, they're representing the enemies of God. Trample the holy city. It's a great time of persecution, a time when people reject God's word. Now, all this is to say that the time of tribulation, the time of persecution, the time of opposition is at the same time, isn't it, as the witnessing is going on. As the church goes out and witnesses, there's there's the same time of tribulation, same time of opposition to it. So the last days that we are in, ascension to second coming, we have to expect that things aren't always going to be easy in our witness. And so we need patience, patient endurance in that. And in some cases, tragically to the extent that some, and people are being martyred even today for their Christian faith across the world. And that's what you see here, isn't it, with the kill, that the fact that the two are killed, the two witnesses are killed in verses 7 to 11. Because it will look from time to time that the church is failing, doesn't it? You know, I, I think of when all the missionaries had to come out of China and, and 
It looked like it was a disaster. And yet, what's happening in China? Thousands of people are becoming Christians. Great church movement underground. And as this happens um, to us, people will gloat over us. Verse 8 tells us that the bodies lie in the public square of the great city, which is figuratively called Sodom and Egypt, where also the Lord was crucified. Again, it's picture language. It's a picture of Sodom, which is a place standing for gross immorality. Egypt standing for a place of great slavery and of persecution. And then, of course, Jerusalem, which is the place where Jesus died, isn't it? A place standing for what? Well, for rejection. A place standing for mockery and for scoffing. Well, that's what they did to Jesus, isn't it? And that's what they do to these two witnesses. So we must not be surprised. And so we must be patient in our witnessing. But more hopefully, we need to realise God's protection. That's the third thing. So we mustn't have false expectations, but we mustn't be pessimistic either. Let's go out in the knowledge and the power of Jesus can do great things through us. And that look at, if you look at verse 1, it says, I was given a, a reed like a measuring rod and was told, go and measure the temple of God and the altar with its worshippers. Um, Revelation was written after the fall of Jerusalem in AD 70. Um, by, it, was, it was demolished by the Romans. And in the New Testament, the temple is the people of God, isn't it? Where the Holy Spirit dwells, um, the very presence of God. And so God is telling John to measure the temple What does that mean for us? Well, he's measuring the people of God. Again, that does allude back to Ezekiel uh, as he receives a picture of measuring up the temple there. So what's this measuring all about? Well, you've moved house, haven't you? Who's moved house? What do you do the first thing before you you move into that house? You measure it up, don't you? And you, you, you start seeing, well, where could the bed go? Where could the sofa go? Where's the TV going? Uh, you know, where's all that stuff going to go? And so the, the measuring is a declaration of ownership. That it's yours, isn't it? Measuring, it's yours. It's a declaration that you have it. And it's also a, a declaration of a tent. That I have plans for it. I'm going to use this uh, house for the things that I want to do for it and with it. And it's also a picture of protection because God knows us. He knows his church. Um, He owns it. He's committed to it. He has plans for it. So this is an incredible image here of this measuring up, really, of the people of God. It's not not to be seen in a negative way. It's actually to be seen in an incredibly positive way. He, with his people... uh, Back to those um, dead bodies for a moment in the square. Um, it doesn't, when you look, read that, does it? It doesn't look that there's much protection going on, does it? It doesn't look like a particularly safe place. Um, 
all kind of looks a bit lost and dead. And yet, again, if we think about the, the numbers here that are mentioned, it says they were there for three and a half days, not three and a half years. So by comparison, it's a relatively short period. And then what happens? They are raised and ascended to heaven. Just as Jesus was, isn't it? Just as Jesus was rejected and gloated over, his, his body was mocked and, and, uh, and rejected, and yet he rose and he ascended to God's right hand in glory after three days. So what we have here um, is the church in its witness Likened to Moses, likened to Elijah, likened to Jeremiah, likened to Ezekiel, likened uh, to Daniel. And most importantly here, in the resurrection part of it, likened to Jesus. So that even if we lose, even if we lose our lives, he's going to raise us up, isn't he? That's how protected we are. A protection over death. Uh, and um, I just brought a book uh, by uh, uh, some accounts of a missionary called John Payton. I don't know if you've ever heard of John Payton. He was a Glaswegian um, minister, and he told his pastor that he felt called to witness to the, the New Hebrides in the Pacific Ocean. Do you know those islands? And... Um, Many told him not to go. Many were really worried about him and warned him not to go because those islands were known for their cannibalism. And so they were really worried about it and you shouldn't go there, Peyton, they said. And um, one particular older member of the Congress said, you know, I don't think you should go there, the cannibals. And Peyton said this, it's amazing. He says, sir, you are old. <laughs> And you will be in the grave, and the worms will devour your body. <laughs> but if the cannibals devour me, what does it matter? On the resurrection day, I'll be made perfect. My future is not in doubt. I'll be risen, ascended. Now that's protection, isn't it? <laughs> I thought that was wonderful. What a, brilliant, what a brilliant way to put the kind of protection of God. Finally... Thing to help us and encourage us is the promise. As we witness, uh, we, we need to see the promise. We really need to see the promise. What was the outcome of the witness, the witnessing that was going on? What did, you, did you notice the outcome? Verse 13. At first, verse 13 looks like another statement of judgment, doesn't it? You know, there's thunder and there's, there's, there's peeling of, of, of claps of thunder and all sorts of things. Um, but notice there what the people who survive did as a response to the witnessing. You see, 7,000 people were killed in the earthquake. And then it goes on, and the survivors were terrified and they gave glory to God in heaven. Now that's a response, isn't it? The majority were not destroyed, actually, following the witness. They were actually firstly terrified. Actually, being terrified is often an appropriate response to God because of the fear of the Lord, isn't it? 
The fear of the Lord came on them, but yet they gave glory to God. Exactly what they should do. As a result of what? As a result of the witness. The witness. You know, the six trumpets, the alarm calls, do not on their own cause the people to repent. Did you notice that? With all those warnings that we had last week. If you look back at chapter 9, it's, it ends with, in chapter 9 with hardly anyone repenting. They did not repent, it basically says at the end of chapter 9. After all those warnings of natural disaster, all those warnings of, of um, pain and death, it didn't result in much repenting. People turned to God. You see, what people need is the witness of the church which is the good news of Jesus Christ. It is his gospel that brings freedom and love, that brings hope and new birth. They need the testimony of Jesus. This is a promise that God is at work through us. Sometimes we don't see it, and we may not see it. It reminded me, God said to Paul in Corinth, he said, I have many people in this city. And that's something we could say, isn't it? That we should say to ourselves about Blackheath, that God says to us, I have many people in Blackheath. Now, do we believe that? I hope we do. God has many people around us. We want, he wants to hear the good news of Jesus, to hear the witness The world will be saved only through that witness, through the church speaking out about Jesus Christ. Yes, it will be hard. There will be opposition. Peyton arrived in 1858. His wife died just after childbirth. Later, his son died. He remarried of the 11 children. Four died, I think. He had a terribly difficult life. Yet many, many, many people became Christians through his witness. That is the promise. So, after a long pause of God's patience with the trumpets, verse 15, the final trumpet is sound, the end is arrived, and there is no more witness. It says, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah, and he will reign forever and ever. What a wonderful time that's going to be, that final call. What a wonderful picture of great joy for the people of God, for some for the people of God. As verse 18 says, um, this time has come for judging the dead and for rewarding your servants, the prophets, and your people who revere your name, both great and small, for some. And yet for others, it's going to be a terrible time, isn't it? As it says, a time for destroying those who destroyed the earth. It's a very sobering picture. As we think about our friends and our family and the world around us. Because at that point, when the seventh trumpet sounds, it will be too late. This is where the the world is heading, isn't it? The completion of time, the seven, that's the completion. And if you're not a Christian here yet, I'd really, I really want to, with all my heart, encourage you There is an urgency here. There is still time. Repent, turn to Jesus and know his forgiveness. For believers, if you're a follower of Jesus, this is an encouragement here. This is an encouragement to us to witness, 
to speak in our homes, in our schools, in our work, wherever we might be. It may only be a few words. It may only be a sentence or two. Sometimes it might be longer. We were learning about giving our story for three minutes at the weekend away. Wherever it might be, so that people will hear of the good news of Jesus. So here is the people of God in these last days on mission, witnesses being spurred on in power, despite persecution, under God's protection, promising that many will be saved. Many will be saved. Let's pray, shall we? Father, we thank you for your word to us tonight. We thank you for the encouragement it is to witness. Father, we thank you for the, the power that you have, have uh, given us from Jesus to speak, to testify to the good news of Jesus. We pray that we will be patient as we experience opposition. Uh, Father, we pray that we know your protection and your love as we go out and witness. And we thank you for the promise that many will be saved. Thank you for your word. Thank you for encouraging our hearts tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.